0: Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh brothers and sisters and welcome to the fourth episode of the convo podcast uh, inshallah this topic uh, this episode is on the topic of special needs children uh, which uh, of course is a topic which needs no introduction uh, it's a very very important topic um, <coughs> at the heart of this topic are the children themselves um, and of course um, any relationships like parents siblings Um, And in in any other stakeholders, like teachers, healthcare professionals, specialists, it's a topic that has a very wide-ranging scope in terms of a target audience. Um, We hope, inshallah, that this uh, podcast will be of benefit to us, that we can learn from it. Um, And we do have um, a very interesting discussion in store. Um, So inshallah, what we're going to do is we're going to take a very quick break for our introduction and we'll return to introduce our guest speakers for tonight Um, so off to our introduction
1: Assalamu alaikum alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back. Um, okay, so we'll get straight into it, inshallah. Um, we've got two very special, notable guests with us today. Um, we've got ourselves Sister Sonoba Rizvi, um, who is a psychologist, um, and we've also got uh, Sister Amira Kirsten, who is an experienced educator. Um, and both of our guests today, alhamdulillah, have uh, quite significant experience, both professionally and personally in the issue of special needs So first of all Jazakallah khair Thank you both uh, Very much for being on We really appreci- uh, appreciate You making the time For this discussion
0: Waia Okay um, So inshallah We um, We've got a couple of Well not a couple We've got quite a few issues We want to look at In this episode um, Like we said In the introduction It's it's a very important topic That uh, Is, is uh, Of interest To very many people So you know, special needs is a topic which uh, often is thrust upon people um, in the most unexpected of ways. Um, and, you know, it's this archetypical sort of um, framework where sometimes parents, uh, without any, any, any specific notice, have to then quickly grapple with the issue, learn about it, research it, um, and try and cope with um, the issue itself if it 's personal to them, if not, we have of course advocates for the issue we have um, researchers in the issue we have specialists, we have healthcare professionals um, and and as we mentioned it 's a topic that um, that has very wide ranging scope and wide ranging interest indeed yeah. um, we we want to look mm. specifically um, at the Muslim community, um, yes, we want to look at the topic generally um, in a personal capacity, and I think, um, as Hamza mentioned, you have some very interesting uh, experiences we'd, we'd very much like to to hear from and, and to yeah. learn about, but also society, the Muslim community, parents, children, how the various um, people in this issue are affected. So, so inshallah, we'll get started. Um, can we perhaps ask, uh, firstly, of our guests, and uh, maybe I'll start with uh, yourself, Sister Sonoba, um, can you maybe perhaps start by telling us your understanding of just generally of special needs as as a term, what is that term a reference to?
2: Well, uh, assalamu alaikum. Uh, with special needs, um, uh, it says like, as, as we say, special needs or additional needs, mm-hmm. of course, we are referring to people or, or particularly children who have some more needs, or how we call it uh, differently abled or people of all, like when we're trying to be exclusive, we say people of all abilities. But I would say that they're differently abled, so their systems are wired differently and they have different needs compared to the mainstream children. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, and uh, uh, Sister Amira, did you want to add something to that?
2: I guess from an educational
3: perspective, um, if we're talking about children with special needs, then we're talking about the adjustments and resources Mm. that we we need to um, be using to modify things in the classroom to enable them to access education Mm. as equally Mm. as any other child would would, would be able to. Mm. so, yeah, just uh, different aj- adjustments and resources that they would need to access. Yeah,
1: uh, I just have a quick question. Just coming off of that, um, how because imp- there's a lot of sort of different terms that are used and, and mentioned, um, and I have a couple of things or quick questions that I wanted to ask regarding that. So how important, Sister Sonova? you mentioned that it's sort of um, different abilities and, and special needs and so forth. So how is it, how important is it that we identify it as different abilities, not sort of disabilities, or how important is, we see, is that we don't see it as a lack, but rather a difference? Is there something in that that we need to understand?
2: No, I think that would be the crux of inclusion that if you think that they're differently wired and differently able, that would actually increase the acceptance and that would increase, like the sister said, the, the adjustment to that, that we have different kids in our home and we treat them differently because they have different personalities. So just rooting from that, it's just that uh, if we say the person has lack of something that would kind of just gain sympathies and not not an adjustment, like you said, sister. Mm. So I think it's very important, and it, it makes a hu- huge difference of how you look at them.
0: Mm. We wanted to we wanted to also just start by um, asking you guys a little bit about uh, your personal experience. Um, what what inspired you? I mean, your guests on this show, and you were suggested um, by people within our circles as okay, yes, get this sister on and get this sister on. Uh, They'll be very good for the show because they've got you know, such and such experience and and so forth. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about so our audience can get to know you a little bit better? What inspired you to learn, uh, to propagate, to advocate, to be active in this field, Uh, Sister Amira?
3: okay so i guess my um as you mentioned um when you opened up uh very interestingly my my eldest son who was my first born um i gave birth to him and uh, within the first three years um realized very very quickly that there was something um not quite right because his language wasn't developing as it should developmentally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, So I was faced with a situation being a young mother um, and having my first child um, had diagnosed at the age of three with a hearing impairment. Um, Now, it was quite a shock um, for a number of reasons. We had no one in our whole family that we knew that had a disability, let alone a hearing impairment of any sort. Um, And I guess also, you know, just for the simple fact that You know, all of a sudden I I was faced with the reality of raising this child that um, I faced all sorts of stigmas about. uh, For the first few years I I felt the need to cover his hair so that you couldn't see the hearing aids. Um, I had family members who unintentionally would make um, remarks to me. Uh, He was very challenging with his behaviour and I struggled a lot with that. Um, and then the lack of support from not only just within my family, but within the Muslim community, uh, we ended up as a family reaching out to an organization known as the Catholic Center for Hearing Impaired Children. Mm. Um, and subhanAllah, they, they ended up becoming like family to us, um, ironically. Mm. And uh, it was during these years that, um, you know, I, I'd finished studying, I... Um, had started realizing through meeting more and more Muslims through non-Muslim organisations that there actually was a whole big, you know, world out there of children and families uh, Muslim that actually didn't um, have any support at all, had no networks of support. Um, and unfortunately or fortunately, look, we're living in Australia and we're very, very fortunate to have the, the Western services that are out there, um, but that, uh, you know, we couldn't reach out to brothers or sisters in Islam that could give us not only the educational knowledge that we needed, but the spiritual and moral and emotional yeah, support, yeah. I think, that as a family, um, I, so as a mum, really craved for Um And so I guess this then through my journey of education led me to fall into various roles um, as as in teaching um, through working as an itinerant support teacher for hearing impaired children to working in both mainstream and um, special educational settings. Uh, and, you know, it's always been a kind of a, I think I spoke to Brother Hamza about this, a, a passion of mine to want to get involved, yeah. and there's been certain times where I've tried to made, make some roadworks within the Muslim community but have never felt that it's it's um, led anywhere, unfortunately. Mm. So for me to, tonight, this is a, a wonderful opportunity to, if anything, just um, share my experience but then you know also hopefully spark a conversation around what support can be provided hmm. moving forward no,
0: absolutely and uh, and the feelings mutual there it is an absolute honor to have with uh, someone with as, as rich an experience as yourself and of course Indeed. the passion yep. to to join us on this platform and, and hopefully like you said we can start start a start a conversation and keep it going um you mentioned you mentioned that you struggled within the Muslim community and and, and you 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 know in some ways uh, whether it's fortunate or unfortunate you had to sort of look elsewhere. Um that is one of the themes that that uh you know connects a lot of our issues and we're going to explore that a little bit more about you know this sort of dark um you know underbelly within within the community of issues that just so important but they're not
1: yeah, they're, they're not given their due under the carpet, unfortunately. Um, and
0: it's something that, of course, like you know, in our previous episodes, we looked at issues like, um, you know, we looked at political issues, uh, we looked at Hajj and Eid, and um, we looked at the issue of the Lebanese crisis and stuff. But but this issue is so close to home for so many people. I think there was there were many in the audience that appreciated that uh, we're, we're discussing an issue that uh, that is so close to home, Sister. Um, if I can get, Sister Sonoba, if you can maybe share something similar as well, where you're coming from. Like, why is this issue so close to your, your heart?
2: Well, I have an interesting story that mm. my, my path of education was already defined, and I was already a psychologist when I had my firstborn. Mm. And he had different behaviors, and I, being a psychologist, was not aware of them. And because, you know, when you're studying, you never think that you'll have a child who would have the similar behaviors. And as parents, we're all in denial, no matter how educated you are. Mm. So you, there's a lack of acceptance. So that that we went through that lack of acceptance as well. But finally, when we saw that he's lagging in his uh, speech and he in his other milestones and his behaviors are different. So we uh, we started with a delayed speech diagnosis, but ultimately it uh, turned out to be autism spectrum disorder. Mm -hmm. So uh, he was my he is my firstborn as well. And I was already studied, but for some time, sorry, I was already educated and completed my study. But for some reason, I could not bring myself to work for these children because I thought I would have personal biases in that. Mm. But at some point in in uh, in his parenting, I realized that if I already have the qualification in this area, why not I start working in this mm. as well? And my personal example was, of course, very helpful uh, for me to help other families, other parents, and like, uh, I would agree to uh, the system here that Unfortunately, there's no support available at an organizational level at the personal level. It's absolutely different thing. Uh, At one hand, we do not understand. We do not support each other because because of our lack of awareness, because of our lack of knowledge in the area. Maybe if I have a child especially as child in my family, I would know more than you, but if you do not have it, you might not. So it's Mm -hmm. just works like that. I would see people at different people's places and they would say, oh, okay. So you have such a child. So how did you go? Can you help this other sister that I know? Mm -hmm. And this is, this is the way I found support and this is the way I supported people. I also went to some organizations for like how to access school, how to access a support class, how to access NDIS. and, And in all that I found no no muslim
1: organization unfortunately so I, I just um just on that note so it's um like i think there's a general perception that unfortunately the muslim community is a little behind the eight ball on this issue um but from what it seems uh both of you guys are suggesting it's that it's possibly even a little more severe than that like it's not just that we're a little behind but that some things are almost like non-existent that's that's really troubling to hear. Like, we should, as a Muslim community, we should have arguably a greater degree of compassion and concern for these very, very serious issues that certainly exist within our community. But as um, Brother Sufyan mentioned, they are often just sort of swept under the carpet. Um, I guess uh, my question would be how much would it have meant to you guys if there was like a Muslim organization centered, specialized on the issue of special needs? and that you could access and go to, like Sister Amira mentioned, she had to go to a Christian organisation, Sister Sonoba, you had to go to others as well, how much would it have meant to you to have something internally from the Muslim community?
3: I I can say from my perspective, um, it certainly would have been a a huge relief um, in in all facets from, you know, just relieving pressure um, from myself, um my my between myself and my husband at the time my my children who were undergoing a lot of stress um because of you know appointments that we had to attend yeah, behavior yeah, yeah. that was not managed very well um so yeah a, look a great deal it would it would really have meant um a huge deal even spiritually i think for any any muslim when you're faced with a test and you know, this is how we have to view this, um, subhanAllah, as as the, these are all, we're all faced with different tests in our life. Mm. Um, and, and, and these tests come easier when you're supported by a community. Um, so I think that definitely for um, going forward in Australia, I think as Muslims we're doing a lot of positive things and we're doing a lot of things right. We're getting education on uh, on the right track. Yep. We're, yep. you know, looking after many facets of the, of the community needs. But one of those areas, unfortunately, whether it's due to cultural misperceptions or, um, you know, perceptions of shame lack of an awareness as sisters as Sonobis mentioned um, we, we need to overcome some of these barriers as a community and and face the reality of what is happening out there so that we can properly resource and and support our Muslim brothers um, and sisters inshallah yeah. um, no of course
0: and <clears throat> of course we all pray for for sort of progress in that area you mentioned um, that in your own experience, Um, you found yourself just going from appointment to appointment and and that often is Mm, the the experience of parents in this field, Um, you know, finding themselves moving from appointment to appointment, sitting through therapies, learning, you know, on their own, just doing their research, uh, what their children's needs are and there's a lot of room for, of course, for something at the uh, organisational level or the developmental level. Um, I wanted to look at the issue... Um, from a historical point of view, um, and there's no there's no hard and fast. Like we're not coming from a specific research point of view, but just like in preparation for this podcast and the research that it that it required, um, you know, until about ten years ago, the issue of special needs wasn't very. It seemed as if it wasn't very prevalent. Um, it maybe in the community, maybe in literature. It seems like it's gaining a certain level of prominence now compared to. Um, compared to about 10 15 years ago my question is in your in your opinion from what you've read and understand of the issue understood of the issue is special needs is there a growing prevalence in children of special needs who rec- who have special needs or is it just that the awareness is growing there's more social media mm. or, or is it is it actually a case of growing prevalence of children with special needs uh sister sonoba if you can maybe address that
2: yeah, I think both, both have increased because uh, it's quite debatable, uh, like with, with with a physical disability, of course, there are a lot of connections that you can make to maybe genetics or, you know, some some something that happened during birth or something like that. But with psychological disorders or developmental delays like autism or ADHD, uh, it's quite debatable. A lot of people make it to make a connection to the vaccinations. Uh, in our case, we vaccinated our son and uh, he turned out to be autistic. So a parent like me would say, yes, that's true. But then I vac- I got the same vaccination to my second born and she's fine. So, you know, uh, the researchers are uh, are basically in both directions and uh, there's no 100% valid research that can establish that connection. Then mm-hmm. a lot of researchers also point towards the processed foods and the kind of, yep, you know, yep. the pesticides that you use during, uh, the, during the while we grow our crops and everything mm-hmm. like that. But in terms of genetics, uh, I would I'm I'm the one uh, who is really interested in finding out why and Mm. we got all the genetic uh, kind of testing done for him but like our neurologist said that there are like 20,000 genes in our human body and we can only test a few of them Mm. so you know it's it's very hard to even find out even if it was genetic Mm. but I think the numbers have definitely increased and so is the awareness.
0: Sister Amira, on that point, like environmental factors, uh, biological factors, genetic factors, even some research points to things like stress, like increased level of stress in mothers who then give birth to children who end up having special needs requirements and so forth. What's your reading on the issue or what's your take been on the issue? What have you read that you might want to share with us on that?
3: Look, I, I think I agree with Sister Sonova. It's kind of a half-half thing. I think they've, they've, there's always been a case for special needs out there. Um, it's just that a lot of children in the past or historically have gone undiagnosed. So where a child typically in the past, we might've put down their inappropriate behavior due to just being a naughty child or a difficult Mm -hmm. child we've now um through increased research and um you know uh, genetic testing um come to become aware of um more additional needs that are out there um with my son he had he also had um a case of genetic test uh genetic deafness um, which we then started investigating in the family. So in some cases, what I found out with hearing impairment um, is that sometimes one in 13 people carry a specific recessive gene for deafness, but they actually don't even know it. Mm-hmm. So, oh, you know, there's there's always been a case for special needs being prevalent in our society. Um, and I think in Australia, in, in a lot of Western countries, we're just very fortunate to have had access to growing bodies of research and genetic mm-hmm. testing.
2: Um,
3: the case for autism, now, this has been quite a debatable one that I've read quite a lot about, and through some of the work I've done um, in adult education, um, where I worked with, um, you know, a lot of teachers that go out to work in special schools as teachers' aides, what we found was that there's um, a, a kind of a data in Australia that we can't really... Um, be certain about and and a lot of it's tied to government funding so Mm -hmm. in Australia autism um, attracts a larger a bucket of financial funding than many of the other types of additional needs Mm -hmm. and in some cases where a child may have ADHD or um, another type of additional need some parents are kind of what we've found pushing doctors to um put their child into the autism bracket, Mm -hmm. um, to be able to access the funding. So from what I understand, you know, though there seems to be a growing number of children with autism, um, the, the data may be unreliable.
1: Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. just on that note, so we've mentioned autism, um, a couple of times now, and that's one particular area of special needs. um, but as we know, there's there's many different types of special needs as well. We've got, you know, the autisms that have the uh, sort of intellectual and developmental uh, impairments, and there's other special needs cases within that category. But then there's sort of a vast range of other sort of sensory, you could say perhaps, um, special needs as well. So we've got, you know, as Sister Amir has pointed out, you've got um, hearing impairments, there's also visual impairments, there's mobility impairments, there's all these various kinds of impairments um sister sonoba i wanted to ask um what's your experience with different types of special needs like and and the way that they all have to be looked at individually because it perhaps would be a disservice to just put all of those with quote-unquote special needs into that one basket not look at them in particular ways
2: yeah, I'll just go back to uh, like the previous question when we were discussing that in the in the last ten years or in in the last ten years we have become more aware. But I would say that before ten, one or two decades, we used to look at disabilities as being physical only.
0: Mm.
2: Uh, like when you when you talk about a disabled person, you would think of somebody in a wheelchair or with crutches or with you know something physical that's more visual and psychological having a psychological disability is even harder in a way in a way that you know people would look at you and would expect mainstream behaviors and you know people would look at your child and would say oh he looks okay why is he behaving like that Mm. or because because he has some needs that you cannot see and uh, so in terms of disabilities we all are very much aware about the physical one so the psychological ones can be Uh, severe mental health illness or a child who was born as a very neurotypical child can go through a trauma and lose his mom or you know was in war and as a result can develop a severe attachment disorder this can be psychological or mental health related or it can be a developmental delay that a child was born with a delay or it could, could be an intellectual disability that a child is perfectly fine physically psychologically mm. but he has a learning disability or mm. a cognitive impairment so it's it's it, there's no basket or there's no collective kind of term, but we collectively call them children with special needs or different abilities. And um, yes, it's, we really need to identify all these abilities in their yeah. own perspectives and uh, work accordingly to help them. Mm.
1: Jazakallah khair. Um, and I, I just had a quick sort of question off the top of my head that was coming to mind in preparation for some of this, which is that, um, I was looking at some statistics and so forth with regards to disability generally um, and noting that I think it was one in five Australians um, are classified as having a disability. I just A quick question, um, Sister Amira here. Um, is disability synonymous with special needs or are they separate categories or is there a particular line that can be drawn? Because I, I was just looking into that. I wasn't particularly sure myself, so I thought I'd ask.
3: Look, um, from an educational perspective, so we t- try to avoid the, again the term disability. Um, so you'd find that people tend to use the word additional needs, yep. uh, special needs. The um, language language is really important. Sister Sinova mentioned this before. If if we're going to move forward, um, you know, positively, then we need to focus on 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 what they are doing or. Um, the person first and the um, additional needs secondly. So yeah, disability, I guess, is the term that was typically used in the past, but these days, um, in order to be more inclusive, we're now using the term additional needs or special needs, Mm -hmm. and they can be um, really wide ranging. Mm -hmm. I I just, I need to echo some of those sentiments that Sister Sonova mentioned about um, the types of additional needs now, because our, kind of scope for additional needs has become so wide now and those ones that don't or can't physically be be seen are truly harder to understand and when she talked um when she mentioned earlier about um you know we, we kind of assume typical behaviours from a child that may have an additional need, but we can't see that. It really sparked something for me that happened with my, my eldest son mm. um, as he went into high school because he was mainstreamed. Um, he was in public education to start with, and he had an itinerant support teacher that used to withdraw him for support, but later on as he went into high school, became a lot more confident, and I eventually put him into a, an Islamic school. Uh, But again, just to show the differences in attitudes and acceptance towards additional needs in the public education forum versus Islamic school education forum, I remember going to a, a parent teacher interview with one of his high school teachers, and the first thing she said to me was, Miss Kirsten, I think your son has selective hearing. Mm, and no. I said to her, I begged to Dissa, he has a medical diagnosis oh, um, of a, yeah. a severe to profound, profound hearing loss. Mm. And she said, Well, it seems to me that he can hear some things and not others. And, you know, it broke my heart at the time, but I I was on this mission to prove her wrong. So I I ended up making another appointment with her and I actually brought in an old pair of his hearing aids with a stethoscope where you can attach the stethoscope to his aid and she could put it in her ears to hear the type of sound that he was hearing. And subhanAllah, her um, eyes when she heard that sound for the first time was something I can't forget Mm -hmm. because she she really did not realise what he was going through because, again, it wasn't something it was his hair would often cover the AIDS, he seemed regular in every other way, and she had no idea what he was battling in a classroom with echoing noise and a lot of voices that are going around him. Mm. So we do Mm. really um, have, I think, a a big stride and stretch to go in in Mm. Islamic schools and in in our Muslim communities with just, yeah, being a little bit more inclusive, tolerant, accepting um, and empathetic yeah. um, to what people with additional needs
0: experience. It is. Jazakallah um, <clears throat> khair for sharing that experience. It's yeah, eye-opening. It uh, it's actually it's mind-boggling because you think, um, you know, in the area of teaching or not just teaching but like legislation in various industries, you are bombarded almost with, um, you know, Adjustments, like the notion of things need to be adjusted to cater for people with different needs, right? Um, and so, obviously, there's some people that fall through the cracks, and the, it just doesn't maybe a, a cross their minds, and it becomes an issue, as mm-hmm. you said, of of raising awareness. But I
1: maybe even on that, may, perhaps it's the fact that you know it's so bombarded. Sometimes, what you actually need is experience. You need to actually. Yeah. Talk to someone with it, or encounter it, and mm-hmm. actually get a hands-on mm-hmm. realization of the extent of the issue. Like uh, perhaps that teacher that um, you were talking about, um, uh, Miss uh, Kirsten, was someone who hadn't had the experience before and was unaware. And you know, as you mentioned, like the eyes opening wide, really demonstrate that. Okay, yeah. it actually hit her then. I mean, jazakallah. There was a really powerful and profound experience. So thank you very much for sharing that. Really, really appreciate it.
0: I um. I, I wanted to ask, um, I, I watched a show, um, again, in the lead up to this. Um, it was a show on ABC with um, Lee Sales, if you if you know the reporter. Um, she was doing a show on special needs and she had some uh, specialists as guests had come on. And at one part of the report, um, it was talking about autistic children, and the fact that they don't get the kind of support that they need in, in a classroom setting. Um, and they said that, you know, of course, like, I remember it just struck me because it was talking about, and we know from the teaching experience that classrooms can be very, very complex social environments. Like you've got the issue of working in groups, you know, building, sustaining, maintaining friendships, um, you know, being taunted, bullied, right, teased and all that stuff. It's, it's a complex social environment. And uh, she gave the example of a of a mother with an autistic child who – not because of like some extensive research that she did, but just because of sheer desperation. And I just want to quote her. She said, If you had seen the fear and absolute anxiety in my child, the actual terror of sending him to school, um, she was just talking about her experience, where she had put her, her child in for two months um, and then had to pull her kid out. Again, not because of research that she had done, but just it just dawned on her that no, this, there's, there's, no, there's no level of support here for this kid whatsoever and, uh, and of course it's very different to a philosophical sort of argument where parents you know say i don't I want, I choose to homeschool my my child this mother was um was forced and the child was seriously suffering and 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 so many parents are really just desperate and and confused mm. um, about what to do so maybe again from an education educator's perspective, can you maybe just shed light on um, what your experience has been with with various parents who've had to grapple with that, um, from your experience, is
3: that with me or yeah, system? just
0: with yourself from an educator's perspective? Uh, yeah. yeah.
3: Okay, so look, I think from my my experience in working with children with autism, I I have to say, in the public um, arena, the public school system is really well equipped and set up um, mm. for this type of um, for these types of children, and and in small group type um, situations, classrooms. In mainstream mainstream classrooms where you have um, children with a moderate to milder type of um, Mm. autism functioning, you you may find that they've got teachers, aides who come in and and, and support the child in that mainstream classroom. Mm. So I have to say, I've had nothing but very positive experiences Mm. of these children being supported in public education. The problem I've I've faced is when I'm I'm working in Islamic schools and we have children who may be undiagnosed on the spectrum and through various decisions that parents make, they choose to put their children into these um, schools knowing that the school is not equipped with those types of support systems, Mm. which is unfortunate. Um, Mm. The other thing too I, I, I do believe is that a lot of our Islamic schools um, are set up and geared towards the academically driven yep. student. Yeah. And there's very little um, consideration, even at all, given for the diversity of, of, of children that Allah has created. Mm. And it would be good to see in the future that an Islamic school, like the Catholic education system, can, can cater for both types of, um, of children, that you've got you know, a system that can cater for mainstream children, the gifted and talented children, but similarly for children with additional needs and mm-hmm. whether they have that level of support in a mainstream classroom or in a special education unit. Mm-hmm. But we certainly have the capacity and expertise to do it. We just haven't had the financial investment because, again, from an Islamic perspective, when we see financial investment, we tend to think of academic gain and and yeah. how is that going to um, be a benefit to a community? I think
1: um, on on the topic um, of sort of schooling and so forth it's it's firstly it's it's not ideal at all that we as Muslims unfortunately are sort of not at the forefront of this um, it's it's really saddening as well. Um, but also I think perhaps um, one way that we could possibly explain this or two ways rather would be that one, there's a stigma attached to the issue um, amongst the Muslim community of special needs, of mental health, of these kinds of issues. Um, There's just sort of this unapproachable air to it, like just it's taboo, don't go there, don't talk about it, don't discuss it. And if there is a family with a special needs child, then it's kind of looked at a little weird and a little strangely, like oh, maybe it's something that they've done wrong or it's the fault of them and it's... It's unfortunate, it's really saddening, but it is kind of an undertone that we can sometimes feel. Mm. That's perhaps one reason why Muslim schools aren't as accommodating. But on the other hand as well, there's sort of, as um, Sister Amira mentioned, there's this viewpoint of success, which is just that academic success. And, you know, a lot of the Muslim schools have parents from migrant backgrounds who migrated for economic reasons, and they just want their kids to... Get good marks, get a good job, be financially stable, you know, go into the workforce and do things that way. And that's that measure of success. And if you've got a child who perhaps is not going down that particular road, then it can be seen as being, you know, outside of the mold and not necessarily something um, that wants to be looked at. But um, uh, perhaps we can ask um, Sister Sonoba just uh, on that taboo kind of nature of. Uh, special needs in the Muslim community have you had any particular experiences with that? Have Has the Muslim community opened up a little? Is it still fairly insular? What, what would you say about that issue?
2: I would agree to a few things that you said that we have, we would either not talk about it or we would just have feelings of guilt or shame as mm. if this is something that we have done Uh, but fortunately I was uh, I I always had people in my family who would always say like like Amir said that it's a test because Mm. for us life is a test everything that happens for a reason from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you know we cannot kind of complain about that so if if Your family is mirroring, and if your family is reassuring you of these things, I think that is a big support. And Mm -hmm. uh, if you hang out with people who also say similar things, oh, you're getting lots of rewards for that, or you're you're working hard on your child, and Allah is, you know, uh, painting is already hard, so Allah is even doubling your rewards and things like that. I think that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And um, not to deny that I have had interactions with people who were totally on the other side that you know giving you those looks or bullying your child or not Mm. understanding Uh, but I think um, for us Muslim society being a collective society is still a blessing because we do have supports like I have found people who would not uh have anyone to hang out with nobody is available where uh they understand their child they welcome their child uh, the special needs child in their play behavior they're happy to adjust their their you know small little uh games as per that child's needs but mm-hmm. i i i am quite fortunate that i had some families who who in my in my immediate and in my friend's uh circle where they understood my child and they helped him grow and they helped him learn the skills where he had to be given special attention for. Mm. Uh, But in terms of, I would just like to add that in terms of schooling, I moved interstate because of Islamic schools. Mm, And I found out that my son cannot go to the Islamic school where my girls are admitted to. So, you know, uh, that was a big shock. And that was like, oh, when well, you yeah. enter Islamic school, you have a different feeling. Or you mm. see people like you, very relatable, you know, Assalamualaikum, how are you, sister, and things like that. And mm. finally, you tell that, oh, my child has a special need. And they're like, oh, no, we're not the expert people. Mm. So oh, that gives you a shock. You're yeah. like, oh, where do I go then? Mm. And uh, and um, yes, I think sister- for
0: you, sorry to cut you, for you specifically, it must have been, um, you know, particularly hard. I know... My own sister had to sort of make a choice to not put uh, my niece in a um, in an Islamic school because it just didn't have the required support available. Yeah. Uh, but then for you, you came from Pakistan, you had to settle in Australia, and then again move interstate. So that's like double whammy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been a very yeah. difficult uh, process.
2: Yeah, and and sister Maria is right that public system has a very very uh, supportive. And, and and the kind of infrastructure that is required for special needs kids yeah. but i would also like to share an experience that since uh since the last few years we have actually changed like we have seen four or five schools for my child and they all had different setups different setups like for one year the teacher could not in a public school he has always gone to a public school so in a public school they could not recognize what his learning level is what his needs are how much language does he have and you know the whole shift of language change and everything was also there Mm. so i thought that one or one and a half year was totally wasting identifying because because I think the teacher matters a lot and mm. the next two years were like awesome because the teacher was great in the yeah. same public school, same class, everything was same, but the teacher made the whole difference. And mm. uh, I have seen that public schools are have, have the right systems, the right procedures and the right supports, I would say, to help these mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm.
1: I guess there's a lot that we can learn um, perhaps as a community from the public school side of things. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we can you know, gather some of that experience in some kind of way and ship mm. that off towards Muslim schools as mm. well
0: And we're not much of a family at the Convo, it's just the two of us and our tech guys But, you know, <laughs> you know, we are we are a family that's open to, inshallah, anyone who uh, is going through those issues We are willing to listen, oh, have a course, conversation on the topic May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, accept Look, um um, Sister Amira, I wanted to ask. You mentioned, and and as did yourself, um, Sister Sonoba, that um, you both have some experience as parents of uh, children with special needs. Um, in my in my experience, in my immediate and then extended family as well, um, yes, this issue is is about the children, and they are at the center of the attention. Again, without taking any of that attention off of them, parents are sort of these unsung. Heroes, you know, who, as we mentioned at the start, running around from doctor appointment to appointment, therapy sessions, researching, trying to grapple with the issue and understand, often, you know, ill-equipped, almost always unrecognized. um, What would your message be as parents in your position to other parents? And I know for a fact that there are parents of special needs children listening to this episode. What would your message be to them if both of you can maybe, starting with yourself, Sister Amira?
3: Um, I think that um, to to basically understand that you know that you the res- res- support is out there and available, and whether you have to access it from um, a non-Muslim organisation or a Muslim organisation, if you can find that, um, that you should do that. Um, And that, you know, needing support is not a sign of weakness or, um, you know, it's not something to be ashamed of. Having a child with an additional need is not anything to be ashamed of. It's um, one of Allah's creation. And we have to be grateful for every aspect of Allah's creation and focus on the reward of that, as Sister Silva mentioned. Um, I think that... um, you know, we make du'a for every family that is out there that's um, going through this with um, within their family, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I just I, again, I, I I would encourage you to seek the assistance and the support that you do need. Ask the questions. Um, and know that you're not alone. And mm. if you do need to reach out to anyone, um, you know, even if I could say uh, to both of the brothers that are, are hosting this podcast, may Allah reward you, that I would be willing to um, be a support for any other family that is out there. Um, so it's a great cause, um, inshallah, that you both are an both, um, doing mm. tonight. Alhamdulillah. Uh,
0: Sister Sanaba, did you want to add something to that? Maybe your message to parents? Mm-hmm
2: yeah uh just stay strong just be there for your child because uh uh, like like sister mira said that allah has blessed you with this this little human being this vulnerable person and you're you're the last hope they have and a lot of people come to me and ask me that how do you manage this and how do you manage this stressful job and i say that look i'm my son's last hope like uh, the second last would be his dad because you know we're the only ones with the parents and if we give up there's nobody out there for him so you know and just have hope whether it's severe autism whether it's a permanent physical disability whatever it is just keep trying keep trying and at times people come to me and very rudely ask I remember I went to a school uh, a few years ago And I said that, oh, I I want this for my child and I want this for my child. So I was all charged up like any mom. And somebody very rudely said that, oh, for how long do you think your child will be at school? Mm. And I said, I have no idea. I have no idea, but I will not give up. I would actually try to see if he was born with 70% potential, I would not settle in for 69. So, you know, I have to go on and I I am never going to give up. So Mm. all the parents who are listening, I would say that, you know, keep trying, keep trying. And definitely, inshallah, keep praying, Mm. make dua and you will see the rewards. It takes time, uh, but you will definitely see positive.
0: Yeah. And um, of course, at the end of the day, it's all about the rewards. It's all about pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But uh, also these kids will turn around one day, you know, after... Looking back at all the support and all the sacrifices that their parents—I mean, parents who don't have children with special needs—make a lot of sacrifices. But then this is sacrifice on another level. It's in—it's yeah. it, incom—like it's incomprehensible. Yeah, it's that honestly level incomparable. Of, like of of, of sacrifice yeah. that, and then children will appreciate that. They'll turn around and look at, and you know, that love is just—you uh, can't express that in words.
1: As they say, not all heroes wear capes.
0: Thank you for that, Hamza. But
1: also, um, I I found it really wonderfully encouraging, um, Sister Sonoba, where you mentioned a bit earlier on in our discussion that there are like, you know, there's support amongst parents and Muslims who, you know, when they see each other, they will sort of greet each other, support each other, assist each other. So I guess, you know, if we haven't necessarily got the organizational structures and uh, sort of procedures in place, which hopefully, inshallah, the Muslim community can mature into, then at the very least we've got this kind of sense of community that's there um for those parents of special nature and I thought that was really wonderfully encouraging mm. to hear yeah
0: is there is there something um <clears throat> is there something specific you might point to for anyone that um i mean I, like you said for our audience if you want to send a question in later and we can redirect it to any of our guests at the moment but is there anything specific you might be able to redirect any uh, parents to like a a support group it might even be a whatsapp group it might be um, you know something on on the weekends or if not then okay we can leave it and maybe get back to the issue but um, if there is something maybe let us know
2: well anything and everything i would say join facebook pages just search for special needs support groups Mm especially gymnastics uh, you know muslim community groups mothers in my area Mm -hmm. play groups whatever you can Mm -hmm. and the more people you know the more resources you know the more experiences you know uh the better it is for your child Mm -hmm. and with the ndis with the support class i think uh you need to follow up you you should not think that you know you have just uh, filled the form and somebody will contact you No, you need to follow up everything in this country you need you call the well-being officer you call the education directorate or you call the ndis office and just to, just keep reminding them
1: mm-hmm. um, so you, you really sorry do, go ahead
3: sorry you really do need to be your child's advocate um mm-hmm and keep being that advocate for them as sister sonoba said they're vulnerable they only have you and if you can't be an advocate for them then they're really at a loss aren't they
0: yeah.
1: yeah yeah um i wanted to just ask so we we've spoken a bit about community and sort of you know what we'd what we'd want to sort of have the community provide um to parents and children um who are involved with special needs but I wanted to ask if you had a particular message that you could deliver or a particular way that you could adjust the community or something you could address to those people in authority like, you know, say, school principals, uh, imams of masajid, community centres. Business owners, uh, just, just anyone. Yeah, whoever it might be, you know, service providers, hmm. you know, Muslims in, in health services. What would you say we could do as a community to further address this issue? Um, maybe we can start with you, Sister Amira.
3: I think I I really believe that the Masha'i um, of our communities have a, a big role to play in educating um, our communities about acceptance and um, to to. Have a conversation about this issue of shame, and you know, sweeping things under the carpet. We need to open up and remove these barriers so that people can feel um, a level of comfort and trust mm-hmm. to reach out um, to people in the in the community, um, and and to go about you know living their life with their families and their children of difference mm-hmm. um, in a way that's accepted. The other thing that I would like to say from an educational perspective is that for people, um, whether it be future business people that are going into open up schools or the people currently sitting on boards of schools, is that, you know, please, we really do need to open up our sphere of what we're um, offering in terms of education. We can't just limit education to mainstream and gifted and talented children we have to be able to um you know as muslims like it's actually you know what what we stand for really you know from the sunnah of the prophet like we we should be a people of all people and you know if we're not going to be able to take in these these children um and we're going to leave them to the mercy of non-muslims um you know, then we're really not doing justice to our cause and, and, and being true to our, our deen. So I, I really Absolutely, feel that
0: yeah.
3: um, people in education need to put their money in all spheres and and special needs is one of them.
0: Mm. Sister Snaba, can you maybe, just on that on that point, uh, Sister Amira mentioned uh, insights from the Qur'an, maybe uh, if you could mention something similar, is there is there some verse of the Qur'an, is there some... Some aspect of the life of the Prophet ﷺ that for you speaks specifically to this issue or for you has been a source of strength, um, a source of inspiration, a source of motivation. Um, Is there something like specifically that maybe you'd want to share with our audience tonight?
2: Um, Of course, I'm I'm not an expert on this, but as far as I know, uh, our Prophet has always been kind to blind people, disadvantaged people. And as far as I know, the Quran does not uh, exactly mention disability, but it does mention disadvantaged or weak-minded people. So uh, when when there's a compulsion of some something, it would always say that other than the ill or the weak-minded or the disadvantaged. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a lot of researchers consider... Disabled children or special needs children to come under the disadvantage one, and uh, mm. it's just that overall Islam is a religion of equity and equality. Yeah. So you know, uh, uh, and nobody is supposed to call n- anyone by offensive name or mm. you know bully them or ridicule them generally. So if we keep that spirit, we should be a bit more inclusive
0: Absolutely. in our
2: approach, yeah, and definitely. we can address these kids
0: as well. Okay, khair. Um we want to. Um, we want to go to our callers and, and see if there's anyone that would like to ask any questions or comments. Uh, to those listening, uh, we do have our number up on screen. If you see on the bottom uh, right-hand corner, it's so small I can't actually see it from here myself.
1: Yep, I'm trying to read but, it myself. But, um, can't make it out.
0: Um, if we can, um, is there is there a way to blow that number up by any chance, guys? Or I can't actually read the number out from here. Sorry, well,
1: man. it's on screen. So for those who are watching, uh, please feel free to. Uh, jump on the phone, give us a call and extend this conversation, inshallah. Um, but in the meanwhile, I, I thought I'd share um, a little something that I was uh, looking into, you know, with the whole COVID dramas, right? So there was that transition in, uh, transition to um, online teaching and learning and, you know, parents having to be much, much, much more involved uh, in terms of the education of their children. Um, I was listening to a report about how that had impacted the education of children with special needs, because obviously that's a very particular and specialised area of teaching, um, and so there were these parents who were being interviewed about how they were trying to deal with it, because obviously these they could no longer send their children to those particular institutions, or the educators weren't able to attend to them, um, and I, I remember there was one particular mother who just broke down, and she said, "Look." I'm, I'm entirely reliant on these services and I'm very involved and I'm very sort of um, concerned about the education of my child, but I simply don't have the skill set. I don't have the skill set. And she said that in a month or two, I've had about two or three sessions where I've actually been able to engage my child and try and teach them something. Um, and then she said, I chalked that down to a win because there was nothing else that I could possibly do. And there was just a whole host of um, parents who are talking about how, you know, this particular situation that we've got nowadays with COVID has really impacted the education of their children um, who might have special needs. So I found that particularly interesting. Perhaps if um, you guys have any particular experience in any of that as well, sort of some of the particular requirements that are required, uh, that are needed Um, for children with special needs in terms of their education. Um, What can you possibly share with us? Perhaps, Sister Amira, you've got some insights. I know you mentioned generally the adjustments and so forth, but maybe a little more detail.
2: Look, I
3: know that the school that I currently work at, um, with one of the children in particular who um, is diagnosed with autism, Mm. um, one of the things that um, we found with him was that we needed to set up individual Google Classrooms Um, for him for one-on-one sessions Mm. Uh, but you know it's kind of like a a a double-edged sword because in one sense he he was getting the one-on-one which he possibly wouldn't when we returned to school but then on the other end he wasn't socializing because Mm. he wasn't able to be part of well he he was included in the in, in the classroom um zoom sessions but Often wouldn't participate in them because of the nature of his autism. Uh, that type of forum didn't suit him. Um, so regardless of uh, of what we were trying to offer him, it was like a, you know, you won on some some things and you didn't on others. Yep, yep. And um, you know, then I, I can imagine for children with a whole host of other types of additional needs. Uh, There would be all sorts of um, issues. I mean, my son's grown up now, but I I was thinking at the time, you know, for someone like him who's hearing impaired, the issue of hearing via Zoom would have been Mm -hmm. uh, a complication, you know, missing out on if people are talking over each other and there's usually that lag in Zoom or there's too much background noise going on because people haven't turned off their mic, all sorts of little things that, you know, m- most of us take for granted can cause hindrances for these types of children during the um, remote learning period. Um, I, I, I can only speak from that sort of yep, limited
2: yep. perspective.
1: Someone's
0: phone is connected up, sorry, someone's phone is connected up in the studio to the actual microphone. So Yeah,
1: no wonder I keep getting these little <coughs> message tones in my now ear. Now I've just been <coughs> muted. Can you hear me
0: still? Yes. I can't hear myself. Anyway, <laughs> in the in the e Okay. So um we we, we we do have the lines open. Um that's better, thanks. Uh we do have the lines open. The number is now legible. It is zero four five zero five eight seven five four nine. sorry that's the number there. I need to wear my glasses and I haven't got them on me so um, so that's the number there. It's on screen. Um, we do have the lines open. Um, so if you do have a question, if you do have a comment, um, do call in. otherwise we do sometimes tend to get the questions and comments afterwards as well. Um, because it's a live show, and then when people get the chance to watch it, um, not everyone gets the chance to watch it live. We get um, comments sort of flooding in. I think we have a we have someone on the line. We'll just see if we can take someone. No, no, all right, we'll no, not at the moment. Um, Sister
1: Sonoba, just while we're, we're waiting to see if we can get any calls coming through, um, just a quick question. So we focus a lot on children with special needs, and naturally, it's an area of serious concern. We've got to look into it, got to be active in it as well. Um, but these children eventually grow up and, you know, get older, go into the workforce, go into other areas and all that kind of thing. Um, could you perhaps just talk us through sort of some of the concerns or some of the realities rather that could be faced with uh, by people of special needs and varying abilities when they're in their adulthood and when they're sort of progressing beyond schooling? Because we've looked at that in a fair amount of uh, of time here. But we haven't really looked at the other end of that. So maybe you can um, enlighten us with a bit of that information.
2: I think when we work on children with special needs, our our main fear is not for them to develop into dependent adults mm. and uh, we our, our focus is to make them independent as much as we can in terms of their speech, their behaviors, their managing their life, their self-care tasks and you know, uh, the, the last being education. And um, I think that's why the early intervention is very important. In terms of speech, for example, the earlier the better, uh, because children are uh, are are very what do you call raw human beings. Mm. Where you are, where that's a good time to shape behavior, to condition their behavior. A uh, fifteen year old would not do something for a lolly, mm. and yep, a yep. two year old would. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, so the earlier the better. And once the speech is there and the behaviors are targeted early on, I think we can help them develop into better independent uh, human beings. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, of course, we know that we have special needs adults as well. And we have people in residential homes and yeah. where when they, when there's nobody uh, left behind to look for them, that's where they end up at. And that, that's that's something that we would not like.
1: Mm, I see, for I see. any
2: uh, family member to happen, yeah.
1: Um, and sister Amira, for, forgive me if this is a um, too personal question, but with with regards to your son, you've mentioned that he's grown up now. Um, what does how does life look for him with regards to his hearing impairment? What, can you give us a bit of insight of how he's sort of developed and gone through? Because um, you know he's gone through schooling and so forth.
3: Alhamdulillah. My son, um, out of all my children, I, my kids will probably hate me saying this, but, you know, <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> He's, he was naturally the most intelligent of my of my children. I had a, an amazing memory. Um, inshallah, inshallah. He actually, with no study, did quite well in his HSC, but um, ventured off into a… We're not
1: suggesting that you go to your HSC with no study, by the way.
3: <laughs> that's not an advocation for that at all. Um, but, uh, no, ended up uh, pursuing a, a, a career in… In, in the construction field he oh, runs wow. his own concreting business now um i have to say over the last uh 20 he's now 26 25 years the technology for hearing aids have just remarkably improved um he has all sorts of gadgets now that you know you would not in fact the hearing aid that he wears now for someone who has a profound hearing loss i can't even notice it oh, his okay. skin, um is Excellent, um, But I have to um, – I put that down to the early intervention mm. that he received from the age of three. Um, I remember when he was first diagnosed at three years of age, he had the speech of a an 18-month-old baby. Mm. Um, and by the time he was five years old, he was age-appropriate. So
1: oh, okay. yep. Yep. the
3: earlier and the more intensive the early intervention, the, the better it is for the child. Um, and so he's had a, a very, um, a very good life, and, and continues to to live a very good life, um, and you know still battles with you know little things like missing bits of information, and but we've mm. all learnt to to manage that and, and, and work with him, that it's not a not a problem at all. Mm. Um, I, I have to say too, just with quickly on the issue of um, adults with um, special needs. Yep, yep. Um, again, living in Australia, we, we are so fortunate that people have become a lot more accepting. And, you know, I, I often really love the fact that when I, I walk into places, you know, be it Kmart or McDonald's or something that I see, you know, people with Down syndrome or any type of additional need that are being employed To the capability that that they have, and I think that's really admirable. It would be lovely to see that embraced even in the Muslim um, communities. Absolutely, yeah. Many Muslims that run businesses, um, and to have. Those people included in some capacity um, within in the communities mm. that we have would be an awesome absolutely
0: thing. sister. We yes. just have our um, technical team sort of waving a phone furiously at us because we have our first caller. So yeah, we're just going to uh, turn to our caller and see um, uh, who's on the line with us. Salam alaikum. Alaikum
2: I have
0: a question. Uh, uh, yeah, I- sure.
1: Please go ahead.
2: There are so many unidentified cases um, with special needs. How do you think society can work towards identifying them?
1: Okay, so, um, yeah, so uh, I, we got the question, right? Yep.
0: Sorry, uh, just to repeat that question, there's so many kids with unidentified special needs. How can we work as a community to, to try and better, like hone in on that and, and try and identify that? Thank you for the question.
2: I think they would either be identified at school, uh, like if you keep following up with the teacher and if you can see any behaviors in your child, I think it's always good to ask the teacher, confirm with the doctor and get him tested or assessed for cognitive or whatever referrals that the doctor makes. Mm. And I would actually not find it rude to say it to anyone because I don't want to go through the pain of denial and everything that I had to go through. So I would actually identify to a parent saying that it's always good to get your child assessed.
0: Mm.
2: I I would definitely
3: agree. I think that the the more parents are open to listening to observations that teachers are making and just to make inroads with a doctor, you know, the, the worst that can happen is it comes back, there's nothing wrong, but at least to make those investigations are worthwhile. I think what we find typically in in Muslim schools is the reluctance of parents to take those um, concerns on board and and they just put barriers in front of it. It delays Mm. the um, identification and, uh, Mm. you know, as Sister Sonova said, the longer you leave it, um, the harder early intervention becomes. And so we actually do our own children a disjustice. Mm.
1: And I guess that sort of plays into the point that you were mentioning earlier, Sister Amir, with regards to things like imams who you know, have a big role to play in terms of just lifting that attitude in the Muslim community, raising awareness and just letting parents, families know that look, it's okay, don't worry about it, you gotta look into these things. We have to accept the reality of it and we have to make sure that we're accessible, we're open, we're inviting, we're, you know, over the issue and, and that would go a long way. Imagine if our community had that thorough attitude to it mm. and, you know, a school said, Look, you know, it's probably best that you have your child looked at and then they'd say, Yeah, no worries. Let's go do it. You know, rather than a reluctance, hesitation and, oh, what's wrong and so on and so forth, um, you can imagine that that would really, you know, assist our community in taking on this issue in a far more thorough and comprehensive manner, inshallah. We might,
0: um, we might wrap it up there because um, we, we don't want to exhaust our guests as well. It's been a long episode. <laughs> yeah, it has indeed. Um, 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 and inshallah, I'm, I'm sure there are some other, there, there's been some comments on Facebook throughout the podcast and so um, we'll see if our guests have some time afterwards to share um, any further thoughts, but we might just wrap it yeah, up there. There's, I mean, look, it's not like we've exhausted the topic. There's so many things that we can still talk about. There's some, there are some good organizations. Uh, I'm aware of an organization in, in North America by the name of Mohsen, uh, which is specifically dedicated to catering to the needs of, of special needs uh, children, and I think there's some, you know, often we look at other countries like um, America and Canada and so forth um, to try and model ourselves on on existing models like that and, you know, there's a whole conversation around that that we can have uh, but in the interest of time and, you know, not, not uh, overkilling it with our guests so maybe, you know, we might get a chance at uh, having them uh, join us again in the near future, inshallah, inshallah. Uh, We might just wrap it up there. Um,
1: We can leave it at that. Um, Jazakallah khair once again from uh, us here at the Convo. Um, Jazakallah khair. We're delighted to have you guys. It's been a wonderful conversation. I know that I've learned a lot and I'm certain that um, our listeners have as well. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you very, very much for coming on, for making the time and really talking about a critical, critical issue. And as was mentioned earlier, perhaps you know this can spark some more people to have some more conversations in certain places and that could lead to something more and inshallah we can um, we can just sure. be part of that ongoing discussion sister
0: uh, amira and Sister Sanada, thank you very much for joining us tonight uh, inshallah we'll leave it there assalamu alaikum, wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh thanks for having us
2: alaykum
0: As-salam.